Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show oh. podcast. Not podcast, ain't nuts, it's the Politics Show podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Woo! Woo! Yeah. <laughs> yes. I think that's the first affirmative loud noise Ava's made on the podcast. That's that's what I want. Uh, you know, we were talking about MPs doing their, like, <laughs> uh-huh. go off, uh-huh. queen. Exactly. That's ah, what I want to see. So when, like, the next time James Cleverly gets up and says things like, we're raising the salary threshold to 40 grand for anyone who wants to immigrate here, I want, like, Jonathan Gullis to be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can clap, but you can do that. Yeah. Ed Campbell, the golden boy. Hello. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you doing? Great. Excellent. Surviving. Thriving, in fact. As always. Unreal. Ava Santino, the Capital Trade Journalist. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you? Great. How are you? Good. Very well, thanks. Yes. Fresh off your two days of uh, big broadcasting. Mm, oh, yeah. Always. Always fresh off the back of that. Um, and being slightly under the weather as well, actually. I, I sort of, um, I've, had, I've had an abortive migraine this morning. So, um, I got all these diagnosed it as. Yeah. Well, we <laughs> yeah, think I'm yeah. having an aneurysm. Uh, uh, I'm very much pro choice when it comes to migraines. Okay. What does that mean? Because <laughs> you described it as abortive. Right. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be a struggle, isn't it? Having <laughs> um, <laughs> to explain all the jokes. Also, like, nothing to do with his current state, just being around us. <laughs> <laughs> just really greeting and doing. No, I turned the lights on too quickly this morning. And um, I had got like a visual aura. Do you, do you have migraines? Do you no, understand what I'm talking never, about? Yeah. Touch wood. So I got I got a visual aura that sort of gradually. It's almost like a, a piece of slowly burning paper that sort of expands and expands, expands. You get a bigger and bigger blind spot. And Easy. It's like Technicolor. Sort of like a technical Technicolor geometric pattern. Um, and then after that, you either descend into a brain splitting headache, or um, the sort of liminal space which I inhabit now, which is sort of like uh, the front of my face hurts, but it's not debilitating. Well, we'll leave listeners to be the judge of that. But. So you're, you're in this liminal space. This could be your imagination. We may not be doing a podcast at the moment. It's like the you, Truman Show. You could just be hallucinating at the moment. How do you feel about that? Terrible. <laughs> this will be something fun. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Hallucinations are going to be entertaining. <laughs> I only ever had migraines when I was on the pill and I used to say to the doctor I've just started taking it yeah yeah. but I say to the doctor like I'm getting migraines on the and he'd be like it's not connected to the pill and I go well when I don't take it I don't have migraines and when I do take it I do have them and he'd be like they are not connected correlation does not equal causation no but it turns out they're connected I just sort of like deduce that they are connected you know Mm. I feel like we haven't properly interrogated the medical consequences of just relentlessly prescribing teenage girls the pill and being like, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm not a teenager. No. 
Really? <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously though. Mm. Oh no, totally. There was always a bit of a farce when it came. You know, there was the, the big in joke with all women about the the blood clot rate for the COVID jab, and it'd be like, oh, 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 oh. you try progesterone. Have you, have you heard of Yasmin? Or whenever you ask a man, or no, they, they suspended the male pill because the male um, participants were getting side effects mm. from taking a male pill. Yeah, and you, then know <laughs> you know what one of them was? Depression or something. Migraines. <laughs> Fucking migraines. Ollie's an unwitting participant in the male pill. I need to stop taking the female pill. I mean, that's, that's my problem. You're taking 10 a day. This progesterone is fucking with my head, man. You're addicted to opioids. If you think you're addicted to opioids, you're addicked to estrogen. I'm not addicted to anything. I'm just in the matrix. This is a hallucination. We've covered it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Corey. Please. Uh, how were uh, both of your weekends? They were good. Really good. I went to the British Museum, which will become, which will become very relevant quite quickly. It's funny, actually, because three of the stories we've selected are about things that happened in London, but you, you weren't on either of the protests and instead <laughs> decided to visit the British Museum. Yes, I did. That is it's a protest in itself, isn't it? No, because I, I... You deliberately I, shielded your eyes when you got to the African <laughs> novels. I will not look upon them. I smashed up a lot of displays mm. in an anti-colonial protest. Um, something... It's a sick museum, though, isn't it? Something kind of silly, I think they've done, is there's a mummy there. And they've labelled it Cleopatra. As if he still calls his mum mummy. <laughs> so my mummy was there. And <laughs> my my mummy actually wasn't, but my, I was with my daddy. So <laughs> I was worried. And who is he? Uh, that's what I call Ollie when he takes me to the British Museum. <laughs> Can we see the Rosetta Stone, daddy? Very good. Yeah. Saddle up. Go on Saturday. <laughs> but there's a mummy there. Belonging to someone called Cleopatra. When was the when was the last time you called your mum, mummy? I do it as a joke to wind her up because I've always called her her by her name, always. Yeah. And so I I call her that to upset her. And it does every time. Does it work? Well, she's like, stop that. That's disgusting. Mm. I find it uh, deeply unsettling. I think it's it's something you quite often notice. Something that posh people do. Yeah, it's a really posh into, thing. Into adulthood, they continue to call them mummy and daddy. Yep. No. Yep. Which I find very unsettling. Yeah, I've got a mum and a dad. Well, fucking lucky you. Yeah. <laughs> Still married, not to brag. <laughs> no. I, I'm the only one of us from a broken home, aren't I? Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually remarkably well adjusted, I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can I, can I conclude my mummy? Yeah, thing? please. So, <laughs> so the um, embalmed corpse of an Egyptian ruler was there and it was labelled Cleopatra. But what they did not make clear, that that's not Cleopatra, it's a different one. But every, there's nothing there to say, to suggest that. It's funny that Ed's gone to the British Museum and he thinks it's the greatest injustice that he witnessed whilst he was there. <laughs> I felt misinformed. <laughs> the, the greatest injustice that you witnessed while at the British Museum was you couldn't find any marbles. Yeah, no, this is... Listeners, how old were you when you found out <laughs> the Elgin marbles were not little... Balls from the north of Scotland. <laughs> I found out when I was with with my dad standing in front of the Elgin Marbles, and I asked, "So where are they?" <laughs> Which was, I felt very silly. And if you don't know, I then asked quite a lot of people on Saturday night. They also didn't know that. They thought, "So where the fuck were you on Saturday night?" Where was I? Uh, with my friends. <laughs> no, wait, can you actually say where you were? Can you tell me what you told me when you came in this morning? What did I say? Photo booth. <laughs> oh, wow, I, yeah. I was, in, I was in Moth Club, which is in East London, and they have a photo booth there. We're like, so you, I bet spent £30 in the photo booth. What? <laughs> taking lots of photos with different friends. And then, but it was like, this is on me, guys. Each time. I, I paid. I stumped up for the photos. They're not good. They are. You're gonna talk. You're, you're gonna talk about. You didn't talk about the one I saw. Because I know it was on. It was on close friends. Yeah, it was, uh, it was on my close friends Instagram story. I have a bit which I do. I've done it twice now, where you go into a photo booth, you're out for your friend's birthday, and as a present to them, you and another male friend go into a photo booth and do, do a topless photo shoot. <laughs> And it's, it's Happy a good birthday, bit. Bro. <laughs> it's a good bit. The first time I did it, me and my friend Murray did it. And what we didn't realise was that that particular photo booth, that model, 
displays the images on the outside of the photo <laughs> So we are a growing crowd and assembled. <laughs> because I think it's something you're not allowed to do. I don't think you're supposed to say it your top off in a club. Mm. So you go in topped, clothed, go into the photo booth, Derived. quickly whip them off, photos, whip on, nobody's got any idea of the mischief you've just pulled, except when it's displayed on an LED screen to above the dance floor. <laughs> exactly. Um, that was my That was my Saturday. But I spent 30 quid on photos. I once caught some um, stray homophobia at a, at a photo booth. I um, we, we were all, we all went, went into one, went into one. And That's where it happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the final photo, I did, got down on my knees so that you could just see like the top of my head in the photo, <laughs> like in line with my friend's crotch. And um, we went out and then like one of, there was an attendant and she was like, That's disgusting. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, it is kind of like, you know. Yeah. Maybe offence comedy. Maybe it's unfair to describe that as homophobic, but. Maybe she's just an anti public blowjob. Yeah, what a fucking neek. Huge neek. Um, I'm going to call it. Ava, Ava called me. Excuse me. Ava this morning I thought was quite anti Scottish. Because I complained. You committed racism. What did I say? Uh, you, I complained yesterday about. I, I This is not a good. That's not a good budgeting weekend for me. My 30 quid on photo with photos. And then I paid £12 for pick and mix. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was complaining about my error. Where were I, you paying that much for pick and mix? I see Power Station and like the Christmas market. <laughs> Just stupidly forgot. I had my Japan's down, haven't I? Yeah, absolutely. But Ava said my complaint about the price of it was the most Scottish thing she's ever heard. <laughs> Suggesting that we're all miserly. Oh, that old, that old chestnut. Which I admit, I realise having complained about the price of things twice on this podcast, I'm not helping that. Yeah, image be dispelled. And also, you had complained about the price of things twice, like during a five-minute conversation with me. Yeah, because of my most recent news. Did we get all you were on the radio? Yeah, it was good, man. I thought we, thought we did, did some good shows. Talks about talks about the anti-Semitism protest. Talks about Nigel Farage in the jungle. Sometimes I just like to reheat topics that we talk about on him and straight away up for an hour of radio. You know. Yeah. Someone on the subreddit said it was like they always make a point to listen to it and catch up, which is nice. That is nice. It's very nice, in fact. Yeah. I um I think it's it's a tough one because most of most of the people who are sort of our age, the way that they interact with LBC at that time in the morning is almost certainly because it's being played in an Uber that's taking them home after a night out. So they're not, I think, necessarily fully listening to what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's nice to hear that people listen to it on catch up afterwards. Yeah. Um, you know, you could, if you're listening to this now, consider putting it on at your next afters. <laughs> <laughs> That was so insightful. <laughs> Is that Rory Stewart? <laughs> there's nothing quite. Um, I, there's few things I find as unsettling. I'm thinking of a particular time actually driving across Blackheath at about eight in the morning, after and afters, the after afters, you might say. You went to afters in Blackheath. No, no, no. I went to afters in East London. Oh right, yeah. I live in South East London. Oh, so you were yeah traversing yeah. Blackheath. Um, so a while ago now. So like, where was it? Oliver Bonus, like <laughs> <laughs> listening to LBC at that time in the morning and being like, oh, "This is just fully the breakfast show." Yeah, like, I should be having. It's, it's equivalent. It's similar when you're walking home and you're walking past someone who's on their way to work. Um, but now that I do the ins- the insane night shift at LBC, I've ne- I now have the smugness of being the other person mm-hmm. who's on his way into work, walking past people who are like. Head first into a flower pot or something. Tutting. Yeah. Well, I don't tut. I just call them a cunt. <laughs> Keep their head in. Yeah, I just batter them. Uh-huh. They go into the office. <laughs> you come in sweaty. <laughs> bloody knuckles. Um, well, bloody knuckles. I, did, I watched someone get completely sparked out the other night. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, um, well, obviously there's like, you know, people are, Leicester Square at that time in the morning. Leicester Square is a slightly weird place anyway, Hell. I think. Yeah. It's a pretty weird part of London, just generally. There's like the M&M shop and... Well, where all of the trouble is. Well, yeah, and then like a conglomerate of <laughs> riots every day at the M&M shop. <laughs> People losing the M&M shop. Turning the, you know, the big cylinder. <laughs> leaking them. Zadie. Um, and yeah, what, like a conglomerate of like casinos and strip clubs. But there's a bar literally right next to Global. So and it usually kicks out by the time I'm walking through the front door. And uh, yeah, there were two blokes fighting. And one of them just fucking... One bomb, the other one. Oh. Jesus, it knocks him out clean. 
and the bout went down like a sack of spuds. When I was in Leicester Square last, there was nearly a fight between a busker, two buskers. One was like, I think one was imposing on the other's patch, and they like squared up to other for about ten minutes, and then nothing happened. It did turf wars. Yeah, it it it, it dissipated, but the tension was unmissable. You can you can look away. Are you familiar with the Burger Bar Boys? I don't think so. There's uh, an interesting subplot in sort of uh, West Midlands crime life. There was like a feud between who got the like one of the gangs was ran Burger Vans and came from that. Really? Yeah. So the Ice Cream Morris in Glasgow. Yeah, yeah, very similar. Actually. Yeah, yeah. It was really dodgy around there during COVID. Remember, one of the producers got held up at Knife Point. Really? Yeah. Well, there was no one there either, so you could really get away with it. God. That's how I got away. With you... it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for being a for, no. for being a journalist or for like. Just no, random, no, just no. mugging. Yeah, just a mugging. Just oh. old-fashioned mugging. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he didn't need the knife. This guy would have handed it over. Like, you <laughs> just, can I have your phone? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I think it's because a lot of people, to be fair. No, it was really awful, though. Yeah, no, I'm sure it was. Obviously, I'm not making light of it. It sounded like it, to be fair. <laughs> I remember you telling me about like the TikToks you'd make during that time, because it was like, you know, empty London or whatever. Mm. I like to think of you TikToking you mugging people at <laughs> that time at no point like peep show style first person you with like a knife auditing Britain but is you <laughs> I used to park on Leicester Square how wild That's is that crazy well on it yeah in it yeah in the middle of it yeah like brown by the Burger King really yeah there was not a soul there not a soul not traffic wardens no police nothing no one and then um, there were there were a couple of places as like we got to kind of the end of the first lockdown. Mm. But you would honestly, I would drive from Stoke Newington to Leicester Square, and I wouldn't see a single person. It was crazy. Right. Sing the car in there, no problem. And the one time I did park it on the road, um, someone reversed into me and smashed all the side of the car in. Yeah, yeah. I park outside the police stations, try and stop that from happening. <laughs> <laughs> I park outside the police station out of respect for our hardworking police officers. And then you order the police station. And then I order them, yeah. <laughs> you go in. Listen, if you've not seen the YouTube channel Auditing Britain, go and have a look. It's great. It's just okay. a guy filming police policemen and... And women. Excuse me. Police officers mm. and council workers, bizarrely. He, like, reviews his interactions with just, like, the receptionist. He went into a wine shop the other day. Did you watch that one? No. What was, it, what was his beef with them? He was like, I'm filming here. The guy was like, <laughs> okay. For what? And then this guy, he was like, oh, I'm just doing an audit on the shop. And he was like, oh, okay. And then he just goes into this long spiel about wine. <laughs> you can tell the guy behind the camera's like, no. <laughs> Wanted a fight, you know? Yeah. I don't think you can walk into private property and film in that way. No, I don't think you can either. I think I think he might be an error then. Well, you can... Isn't his whole thing is that he likes, he he's within his rights to do what he's doing. Yeah. That's the shtick, right? Yeah. Although if he's trying to branch out into new content where he films in places he's, he's definitely he's got, not allowed to film. He's doing it outside of prison. And they, they they get very funny about that. Yeah, but as in, I, I think they were like, this is prison land. And he was like, oh, I thought it was public. They're like, no, 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 it's pr- the prison owns this. And they're like, I'm going to film. <laughs> like, okay, well, we'd rather you didn't. <laughs> it's, yeah, I think you might be an error. Do you want to be inside here or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Or that other guy who just waits for prisoners to come out. Do you know that guy? Yeah. Waits for the release day. And he's like, oh, how long have you been in there for? And they'll be like, two months. What did you do? Touched a child. Like, you know. We've 50 really- million TikTok views. Yeah. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. 
really need to toughen up sentencing if that's <laughs> that's a video that you've seen. It's just Suella Braverman's world. We're no. living in it. Shut the fridge. It's the Joe Politics Podcast. Should we talk about politics? Is this enough? We've been shit talking for a little for quite yeah. a while there. Yeah, that was long. Good though. So a weekend of protests. Absolutely. But you did not you decided not to go on. I'm sorry, so did you I was working. So was I eating a delicious lunch. I made an appearance of both. Did you? Ava. What were you up to this oh, weekend? No, I actually didn't even want to say that. I was going I was going quietly. You know. What were the vibes like? Immaculate. <laughs> Ew. How was it, seriously? Um both very both very peaceful. I don't think you can compare the two. Well, we're about to, well, baby, so buckle up. Yeah. Well, then I, I don't want to shit all over the, 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 the argument or draw the comparison. I suppose, you know, um, yeah, Saturday's, Saturday's march was a call for a ceasefire. And then mm-hmm. Sunday's march was um, a call for against anti-Semitism. It's two very different causes. Yes. I saw um, Zach Goldsmith tweeted a video from the march on the Saturday. I don't know where it was, but there was sort of the street was full of people, flares and people sort of celebrating and partying type vibe. And he tweeted it with like, something like, how long is this going to go on for? Or like, how this is an art, you know, I don't recognise London or something like that. It feels, felt very bizarre. Very, I don't understand. And Ed, seeing as you asked me how my LBC shows were, one of the questions I asked was whether or not people would label Sunday's march a hate march in the way that Saturday's marches have been. And I don't understand, really. Well, maybe I do. Maybe maybe I do know the reason why the sort of the marches that are better attended by people from ethnic minorities and of Muslim faith are described as hate marches and the one with a lot of white people on isn't. But for me, I just sort of get like a warm, fuzzy feeling when I see a protest. I'm like, oh, that's nice. Political political expression, political demonstration. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to answer that? I think it's easier. Well, it's there's bad actors people engaging in bad faith on with these marches with both marches and then you have people the marches can represent anything to anyone you can use the marches as a symbol to illustrate mm. any political point you have people like Tommy Robinson trying to attend the anti-Semitism march on Sunday I think it's maybe fair to say that he's not doing it out of proud solidarity with the Jewish people is he doing it to sanitise his reputation is he doing it so that people, well-meaning people can say Oh, Tommy Robinson's not that bad. He was marching against anti-Semitism on Sunday. These things can be all things to all people. Did you see the video he did after he'd been tear-gassed? No. Worth a watch. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I think one really big... I've been trying to figure out what I think about this, and I haven't quite figured it out, so maybe we can... Maybe we can just workshop this, you know, guys? Let's workshop it live and then publish it. Yeah. Word association. So there was a Hisbeth's career rally protest outside the Egyptian embassy on Saturday. Right. And that was allowed to go ahead by the Met Police. They were told they had to stay on a certain road, they had to stay in a certain area, and if they were to break out of that area, they would be arrested. Um, But the protest was allowed to go ahead. Now, the reason it was allowed to go ahead is because Hizbutstra is not a prescribed organisation, even though two prime ministers have tried to make it, to try to ban it. I think the last time or maybe the first time was after the 2005 London bombings. Mm. Tried to ban it then, they didn't. So obviously the Met Police can't deny them the opportunity to go and protest, even though objectively anyone looking at a group during the current febrile climate and what is going on in our cities with the you know the, the rampant rise in Islamophobia, anti-Semitism and just general tension... Yeah, got it here. Um, 554 reports of anti-Semitic offences in London between the 1st of October and 1st of November, um, compared with 44 in the same period last year. Equally, Islamophobic hate crime also on the rise, 220 offences in the same period compared to 78 last year. Massive. Mm -hmm. That sort of protest from a group that is calling for, you know, worldwide implementation of Sharia law, obviously is a crazy a crazy display to to have in the UK's capital city what i don't understand my conspiracy brain on it goes mm. is it helpful for a government that perhaps does not like the palestine protests going ahead but can't stop them to have this very extremist wing of that argument protest mm. 
and have that protest dominating the headlines and being used as a catch-all for all of the action that went on on a Saturday rather than just having a peaceful ceasefire march. Mm. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm. I could see how you, yeah, joining the dots on that. I, yeah, for what it's worth, I don't think there's that like that degree of coordination going on. But yeah, I totally, I totally see that. Because what I th- okay, coordination or conce- that that's that's not quite what I meant, but that is what I said. It's so politically I see how convenient. You got that. <laughs> it's politically convenient. Yeah. And I would argue that a group like that, if I was the prime minister and I really cared about that sort of language and rhetoric being used, I would work pretty hard and pretty quickly to make them a prescribed organisation to just eliminate the risk of them um, unstable, you know, destabilising the peace. Mm-hmm. And Rather than just putting out a tweet on Sunday saying things like, isn't it nice to see this force of anti-Semitism? I'd actually probably do something that proved I did care about where language was in the country. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm. And at the moment, they're like a, an illustration of the bogeyman that people talk about. It, they talk about the march as being a Hamas march or whatever, and, and this group is a re, like a real example of the danger that they say the whole march is. That's the point. Yeah. Well, we're not saying that they're directly linked. No, no, no. But it's, because we can't. You mentioned Tommy. Been... You mentioned Tommy. I think there's a distinction, isn't there, on these two marches, looking at how Tommy was received at the anti-Semitism march. Basically, you have you have an extremist there, right? You have an extremist who's trying to cotton on to your political cause. And the march's organisers and the community in advance were like, we don't want you here. Do not come. Uh, he came anyway. And he was sort of booed off when he was led away by the police and then eventually arrested. Um, and I think there's a there's possibly a lesson in that for people who are on these pro-Palestine demos who see people being anti-Semitic, carrying anti-Semitic placards, uh, that you can, it is possible to self-police these things. It is possible to say to someone, that is racism, and either you can put that placard in a bin and go home and read a book, or you're not a part of this demo. We don't want you here. Mm. You know? I think uh, think there's a lesson there to be learned. I think we've been saying that as well for the past couple of weeks. Absolutely, yeah. So I, um, at the weekend, I had a call on this point about like nuance and whether or not we call people out immediately for it. I had a call from this objectively, I think, um, quite provocative person who said he was an Orthodox Jew living in America. His family's in London. But he said his only friend uh, in Britain as a Jew was Tommy Robinson and the far right. And I said to him, well, that's very interesting. Um, You think the people that have swastikas tattooed on them and doing Nazi salutes at in Whitehall are your friends um and he was sort of like well that's it's only because there's no one else you know everyone else is horrible to me I feel like he's the only person who's standing up for me now I don't know whether or not the right way to interact with someone around something like that is to sort of admonish them and shout at them and be like you silly bastard you're way off here because my the immediate response I had to him was one of was one of empathy, basically, um, and he'd sort of he followed it up by saying, you know, people on the left used to be the friends of the Jews, we're not anymore. And so I said to him, and so I apologised to him, and I was like, I'm sorry to hear that, mate, because you know I'm someone who sort of identifies with that political tradition, um, and the fact that you feel that way, I think, is is quite devastating. And it's very hard to hear. Now, I think you can respond to people who are sort of being bigoted or identifying with bigotry in two ways you can either shout at them cancel them whatever it is you want to do or you can try and empathize with them and understand what it is they think and why they think it and nine times out of ten i side with the latter so if i see someone who who, let's say has an anti-semitic sign my decision would probably be to go over and speak to them try and understand why they're using imagery like that understand if they if they realize how offensive the thing they're doing is and from that point you can then move towards reconciliation, further understanding, and education. If you start lecturing someone immediately when they tell you something, you destroy the trust with them, you don't build any rapport, and they become defensive, and they double down on their views. If you want to try and pull someone out of an extreme belief, you have to agree with them about, not agree with them, sorry, but you have to, you have to establish at least some mutual understanding, some mutual facts, and work backwards from that. If you just tell someone that they're an extremist and you know there's no there's no conversation to be had about it you might feel good about it but you're not going to make the problem any better yeah but i think it's extending it's still extending a lot of generosity in a moment to which say these 
say as a Jewish person, you saw something extremely anti-Semitic, the emotional response would trump. Even if you completely agree with your point, the emotional response cannot be overstated, I think. I think it'd be having a reaction that's really emotive and angry is also equally understandable. Probably not, it won't change their mind, but I think that's as valid mm. as like the victim of it. Mm. I'm somewhere in the middle. Go on. Well, I think, I think. Well, so am I, as I was making the. Yeah. <laughs> just, went, just went devil's advocate. Yeah, I suppose. Um, well, then we'll leave it there. <laughs> um, you know, I agree with you. I think there's the, I mean, you think about one of our friends who was in the far right for some time and if he had just been spoken to with the demeaning, often valid valid is the demeaning and derogatory um, normal conversation that I, I suppose people would have with people who are on the far right, then I don't think that he would have ever come out the other side of it, mm-hmm. you know? I'm not saying, I'm not, yeah, I'm mm. not doing white saviour, we need to save these people, but, you know, perhaps, yeah, there there is a, a degree of we should understand why they got there in the first place. Yeah. I think it's very hard to pull people out if you don't understand why they got there in the first place. To be honest. It's a Joe Politics podcast. Um, anything else you guys would like to say about the protests? Boris Johnson was there on the anti-Semitism march. Yeah, a lot of politicians were there on the Sunday, were they not? Yeah, yeah. they were. Um, quite a few of them. Um, I wrote it down on here, sorry. Oh yeah, Boris Johnson, Tom Tugendhat, Immigration Minister Robert Jenrick and Labour's Peter Kyle. Hmm. Um, and then a few other, a few media personalities as well. Could you argue, this is a bit clear, could you argue that um, the anti-Semitism march was a hate march because extremists like Boris Johnson were allowed to attend? There is, okay, well, to, and to make to, to make the point, I, I would also say, I would say it wasn't um, a, a, pro, a protest, it was a march for anti-Semitism, right? So in that vein... Again, against anti- 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 again. Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> So God, so when you're on a march against anti-Semitism, you're de facto on a march. You're, you're on an anti-racism march, right? Yeah. So to have someone on there who has previously referred to, not to make the obvious point, but Muslims as you know, letterboxes, the burqa, and um, pickaninnies with watermelon smiles. With watermelon smiles, you, you you sort of go like, oh oh, so you do get the racism thing, mm. just not ju- right. Okay, mm. it's just yeah. Well, that's what I mean about uh, being extremist because you could you could easily make the argument, right? If if we're if we're this is what I'm talking about, you can extend you can extend the logic. Right? Okay, right. Someone on the on the Palestine march is carrying um, an anti-Semitic sign with a swastika and a star of David inter- interconnected. We say that's a hate crime. We say um, we are arresting you. We say okay, that's a hate march. You have someone who's called gay people tank top bum boys, and that person's allowed on your march. Can we not do the same thing? Can the the logic the logic is the same? I personally find it dishonest. I obviously don't think you can call a hate march because one person there is extreme, obviously. I'm just sort of pointing out the sort of the ludicrousness of the way that we've been talking about these marches over the last couple of weeks. Mm. Yeah. It's constant, it's also the constant comparison. Yeah. As well. As in, you can you, you can hold two opinions. You're, you're both. We're all, like, I think everyone wants peace in Palestine. A, a, large, a lot of people want peace in Palestine and are against anti-Semitism. And it should be common sense to have those two thoughts. Yeah, I think it's possible to be... Um, upset by the horrors of the terror attacks on October 7th and simultaneously be upset by the carpet bombing of Gaza. Um, the two things don't mutually exclude each other. That gets into the footballification of politics that I think we we um, no one we haven't really talked about as a country yet. It's not... I'm not advocating... It's not a both-sidism argument. You can't, you can't... You can't pick a team. You're not picking Palestine or Israel. And then going, you know, full force with it. That's it's. I guess that's where activism is at the moment. Is that you're so used for the last like your whole life. There's a right side and a wrong side, and in this conflict, the lines are blurred. And I think people don't know how to to deal with it. I think there's a. Um, I think that's a much more recent phenomenon. To be honest with you. Mm, yeah, of course. I, it, of course, it's a much more recent phenomenon. It's in the last six weeks. Yeah. No, 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 no. I um, I think you can trace it back to. Uh, not necessarily being the only thing, but particularly during COVID uh, and the the death of George Floyd and also then the debates around vaccines and lockdowns. And I think because people's lives were shriveled and shrunk to such an extent that there was basically a sort of 
what was in their house and around them, and then national politics. And that was basically the two things that were going on in their lives. You know, there's the pandemic, daily news conferences. You had the news and you had, what am I eating dinner mm-hmm. tonight? Will I eventually, will I go and sit on a park bench for an hour? You know, that was that was where you were at. And so I don't think they can be overlooked in the, in the case of when you're trying to analyze why what happened to George Floyd set the world on fire in such a way, because as is well documented, there have been many, many, many unjust police killings of black people uh, in America. And for some reason, that one traveled all the way around the world and instigated political discourse debates, um, policy changes even, in a, ways, in a way that others didn't. I think a huge part of it is the fact that everyone was stuck indoors looking at their phones. The mass media side of it was 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 very potent. And I think since then, since the increasing sort of ah, clicktivism, slogan, sloganizing, um, people sticking up like political posters in their windows during that time was like one of the only ways they could sort of express themselves wasn't just posters as well. You remember, thank you, NHS, and all that shit was in windows as well. And I think from that time, people have had a much more reductive, tribal, and simplified view of politics. And now it's very much a right and wrong. There is... There's a defined right, there's a defined wrong in virtually every single political debate. And I will take one of those sides, bearing in mind that, you know, politics for the last millennia has been about the fact that there is no right and wrong. There is There are competing views, philosophies, ideologies, and it's how they interact and intermingle with each other that you end up with something called government, you know, democracy or whatever other system of government you have. Uh, and I think, yeah, I think it's certainly a, a more recent phenomenon that people are much more inclined to sort of pick a side. Mm. I think also as well, there's a big social pressure now for to be seen to be posting things on social media about that's how people that's how other people gauge your interaction, how much you care about something is whether or not you've posted a something on social media, regardless of whether you've marched, regardless of whether you've donated. There is like a silence is violence sentiment to a lot of the discourse um, around Palestine and Israel. I think it's like a lot. Uh, one of my favorite things to see online is when someone like, uh, I don't know, take, take your pick, someone fairly big online will post about something and that people, they'll get people quote tweeting and replying and be like, well, you had nothing to say when X happened. Mm. Uh, the expectation that you should be constantly posting, constantly, you, it's your job to be fully plugged into the discourse entirely. Uh-huh. You must be online at all times, commenting on everything at all times. And if you haven't, it's because you're either dishonest, you don't, you don't care about a certain cause, etc. It could just be that you fucking went for a walk you didn't have your phone on you. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But people, the, the kind of parasocial relationships people form with these influencers and then also exp- demanding and expecting that everyone talk about something at all times. It's very revealing, I think. Yeah. I was watching a travel journalist do this. Really? Yeah. Normally reviews five-star hotels in uh, Mauritius or the Maldives. What it's a like, fucking gig, by the way. Yeah, what a fucking gig. And then on her close friend's story, it was like, you're silent, you're silent, you're complicit. <laughs> pretty fucking silent there on your close friends <laughs> you know you don't want you don't want to let it interact with your day job yeah you work with her for a pretty big publication but wow. there, hon. yeah god <laughs> ed we've just received your dispatch from mauritius why is the headline mr netanyahu put down your arms <laughs> i write from my jacuzzi <laughs> yes yes ed, it's, it's it's the scoop for the front page tomorrow morning <laughs> i think it's also a little bit cynically it's a lot of posting to get positive reinforcement from other people who's... Thing is these days, isn't it? Yeah, I suppose, but, it's, but it's, it, you're not going to change anyone's mind. I, I don't think people will read an Instagram graphic and change their mind, is oh, my point. I'm not, I'm not entirely in agreement with you. Really? I, I do think that there's... Um, you can have peer pressure to, to, um, to make you pay attention, right? If you can't avoid it, then you are going to start looking at it. But I think you could. And if only we could start doing this with housing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think I think in in this in, instance where it's so tensions are so severe and so inflamed, I've heard people, of I've heard of people unfollowing very vocally pro-Palestine people because they disagree. So you can I think in the instance of Instagram stories, I think you can just you can remove yourself from that. You can stop seeing them quite easily by not interacting with the accounts. It's like a choice to see what accounts you interact with. Yeah, and I think it just depends, doesn't it? Like, I don't, I don't think you should be getting your fucking 
your view on Israel-Palestine from Gal Gadot, you know? Like, I don't I don't think she's a fucking authority on this. Do you know what I mean? I don't think you should get your politics from Matty Healy. Like, I think, <laughs> I think, I think you should, I think you should try reading a book. I think you should try listening to the Politics Joe podcast. I, you know, I think there are, ours is the only Instagram channel you're allowed to learn from. <laughs> but, but, you know, if you're, if you're someone who, I don't know, the way the algorithms work, you're probably exposed to Bella Hadid's timeline a lot her social media let me tell you sister, am i exposed to her deeds <laughs> timeline um but you probably are because she's got such a huge platform and mm. the algorithm will serve you her content you might go oh why is the supermodel talking about the conflict maybe i should read about what the conflict is mm. i'm not saying just read what she has to say about yeah. it but it is a good way to push you on look to obviously it can increase awareness and that's that's a huge part of part of things i just i don't think the way that celebrity works now where people idolize individuals and um is you know buy into people like individuals and follow them for that reason so i don't know take your take your bloody pick I, I, but let's just say it's bella Hadid for the sake of argument the people who see what she has to post and are fan fans of hers aren't just going oh that's interesting there's i wasn't aware about that issue i'm going to go and learn about it that's not they read it and go well that's what she thinks so that's what i think yeah or they read the headline and don't read any further. I, well, I, that's, well, I've been getting away with that for <laughs> long enough. Well, it's journalism. No, if I see, if, if you write a caption on Instagram that's more than two paragraphs, I ain't fucking reading that shit. Full stop. No? No. It depends. All you can't read. That's the main yeah, reason. Yeah, I, 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 like, I impose that two paragraph distinction to make it sound like there was a reason for it. <laughs> it's actually because I can't read anything. <laughs> You're looking for a big colourful picture. Yes, exactly. That's why I like Instagram. It's uh -huh. my medium. It's good. Do you think there's also perhaps maybe a contempt for the, for okay, a contempt for young people who are going on the marches by perhaps senior figures, not just in our government, but, you know, in society who do, who think that young people, well, do exactly what we've just said they do on this podcast, which is regurgitate whatever their favourite celebrity has to say. And so perhaps... You, you know, like sometimes you're on panels with people, and you'll be like, and the other person will be like, yeah, but those, those people on the march don't even know what they're marching for. And it's like, I think that they do understand that, you know, Gaza, the Gaza Strip was 80% aid reliant before the attacks on October 7th, and now is 100% aid reliant, and people are diving, diving, dying of starvation and, you know, drought and God knows what else. People can understand that and have a humanitarian response to that, which is, I would like to go and march and make sure that they get some kind of aid. Mm. But there is a, a, a perhaps a subsect of people who are in power who don't think that um, people people our age can understand that, or anyone under 35, actually. So I suppose people in power, everything they broadly stand for, younger people are broadly against. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. it. It's, char it's charity for yourself and your boys and none for your enemies, you know? Which just sounds like a slightly obscure thing to say, but like... You should extend the good faith to your opponents that that they're arguing from a from a sincere place, not just because you think they're like some kind of horrible cunt. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's why Stephen Yaxley Lennon will be on this podcast <laughs> next right. week. <laughs> I reckon, reckon we'd be able to get him on. You know, would you want to do that? It's a it's a very it's a live button issue, isn't it? We've we've um to be decided no. We've given him a right to reply in in that doc we made about him, yeah. As is as is you know his right and as journalists, I think it's a different thing, isn't it? Um, to have someone on for fucking an hour or something. That's what um, Andrew Callahan of Channel Five said when he interviewed. He did like a hour long interview with Alex Jones. Mm. He said there's because people were hugely criticised for platforming Alex Jones, and he said what benefit does Alex Jones have from coming on? Alex Jones is massive. Like I I don't this he's put put himself up for a critique and I actually think he did it quite well as he spoke to the lawyer for Sandy Hook the, fa uh, the families of the children who were killed at Sandy Hook he spoke to their lawyer it was like quite a well done piece of documentary journalism and but he was pot some, potentially someone who did not know who Alex Jones was was then turned on to his mad ideas there is like yeah, a big benefit it, yeah. yeah yeah but Tommy Robinson is so no, no, but it's, it's, it's legitimizing yeah. their ideas, right? Or legitimizing that they're important enough to be on the news. That's the question. Because you go, well, that they obviously have such a seismic shift that they need to be... I mean, if, you, if, if Alex Jones was being interviewed by the BBC, 
you you would question that, wouldn't you? I don't think you would. Would you not? I think I think I think his presence is already legitimized. He's so he's so massive. Now that I've said, it, I totally disagree with what you said. <laughs> okay. Actually, yeah. yeah, I would actually quite like to see him question. Uh, I, 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 I think there is merits, obviously merits in interviewing these people mm. and to interrogate their ideas. I think it depends totally on the context, right? Like if they were to broadcast an hour long speech by him or Desert Island Discs, yeah, you know that would probably be a problem. <laughs> um, what do you think Alex Jones's Desert Island Discs are? I reckon it's going to be like, it'll be like ZZ Top and shit. Q Lewis. Yeah? Something like that. Ska. Lots of, lots of ska. You think? No. What, ska. what kind of ska? Yeah. What did you say? Ska. Ska. Is that a Scottishism or is that an Edism? I think it's how I pronounce that. What, ska. Like UB40's Red Red Wine? Or Something like that. Really into that. Not another one? It's the Joe Politics Podcast. Are you, are you annoyed? I don't pronounce, no. pronounce the word. It's like the American. You can say what you like, mate. It's free it's country. Like, it's like the American. You know Americans. Ever heard of the Axie Union? <laughs> <laughs> I've got it tattooed on my back. Um, you know Americans say aunt or like my aunt. I think he's saying aunt. Yeah. <laughs> but, so your impression of an English person is bad. No, I, was, yeah. I, was, I, was, I wasn't doing an impression of an American English person. Aunt. Yeah. No, but they also but they also go aunt, aunt, my aunt, and I, I have to think about doing that sound. That's not my aunt. That's not an easy phonic for me to aunt yeah it's kind of the same and it's like no it's like um this is fascinating it is do it again. Have, you told, have, have, have i told you the the llama pajama farmer thing yes i've done that on the podcast i don't think you have so at university an english person organized a social for something that was like and it was llama pajama farmer and those three words rhyme in an english accent and I llama pajama farmer. So llama pajama farmer. It's because you look to pronounce your hearts. It was a uh, what was it like a pop quiz question or something like three? What's the three things or some shit? And no, no, it was it was, the, the, it was the theme of the social was come dressed as one of these things, right? And they were chosen because they rhyme as a llama, a farmer, or what? In your pajamas, I guess. Well, it doesn't sound like a Did really you wear thing. a sexy little negligee. Yes, yeah, so I was a what well, I, I came as. Mums. <laughs> Right. Thank you, mummy. <laughs> it fits perfectly. Mummy. <laughs> um, I came dressed as a tractor, <laughs> but I objected to... That's none of those three things. Farmer. I didn't go. Actually, that's that's the long short of it. I wasn't there. What so you... you got dressed as a tractor and yes. did go. <laughs> no, so I did that anyway. In protest, the fact that llama, pyjama and farmer don't rhyme in a Scottish accent? Because I, th- I objected because we were at University of Edinburgh. I thought it was culturally insensitive. But also, you went to... No. Wait, the People brief... get offended over anything these days, don't <laughs> The brief was llama, pyjama, farmer, and you went as a tractor. I didn't go, Eva. Can I just say, tractor doesn't rhyme with anything. I'm sorry, I, I, also, I also didn't go, so I was not dressed as a tractor. But you could go as a tractor because it's farmer-themed. Right. Tractors go on farms. Well, that's that's sort of word association, isn't it? Oh, right, sorry. You could go, <laughs> sorry, you could go sorry, as anything. Did, what would you go as? Well, I could... A uh, llama? A farmer. I could go as, you know, Barack Obama. Does that rhyme better than farmer? Llama, pajama, Obama. Yeah, that, yeah, that'd be way better. Say Obama in a... No, no, wait. Sorry, you were suggesting they'd argue. They'd organise a social where people dressed as Barack Obama. Yeah. There is a ripe cancellation coming <laughs> yeah. from well, that university sorry. society. I, I did not. I did Justin not, sorry. Trudeau is all over Strict, strict <laughs> no blackface rule. Ed, no blackface. Ed called into the SU as social secretary. So what was it are you calling the half your society blacked up in the SU on Wednesday? <laughs> and what part of organising a dress, an Obama-themed dress code didn't make you realise that that was a possibility that might happen? No, they have no. Obama doesn't rhyme, Mr. SU president. All the white people went as Biden. And it was the same outfit. That was it. Yeah. That was it. I think that's a really good way to go as the first black president. As to go as a white Clinton. man. Goes Clinton. Clinton. Yeah, first black president. I'd go as Monica Lewinsky's gown. Hey. That's so <laughs> Was that the thing with the cum stain on it? <laughs> good grief. She said that willingly. <laughs> Why'd you do this to yourself? That was vile. Should we, should we take that out? Possibly. <laughs> yeah, probably. Should we circle back round to the Elgin Marbles? It's a Beyonce lyric. That was the joke. Oh, is it? Yeah, is it? yeah. What's the Beyonce lyric? He Monica Lewinsky'd all on my gown. 
That is vile. Sorry. I think we should cancel Beyonce for that. Ed thinks babies are made when mummies and daddies do a special hug. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> All he's told me in confidence is he's a bridge. <laughs> this guy. This guy. All his dream woman is Monica Lewinsky. Could you say purple burglar alarm? No. I won't. Well, I'm, not, I'm not performing monkey. Has someone asked you to do that before? Yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> is it Why? Because purple burglar alarm. Because I think it's, it's very R-heavy words that English people don't say. Can you tell me more about like racism that English people have visited on you? Um, people do impressions of me quite Which is quite... And this, I think I mainly objected to it when I was in Edinburgh. Right. Because I was like, this is my home country. Yeah, get, you come to my house. Uh, and, you're, and you're just mocking me. Um, but then... But were they doing your accent or were they just doing you? Cause... My accent? Well, I suppose... Right. It's, they're inextric- inextricable. But what, but how, what would be different about an impression of you versus an impression of me? Well, I don't know. See, I would do an impression of you. Like, if I go and, like, spend £30 at a photo place, <laughs> <laughs> am I being anti-Scottish or am I being... It's only if you get topless in the photo booth that you're being anti I think everybody this weekend, the photo booth industry is on its knees. So you need to go out and spend. He'd know all about that. <laughs> <laughs> you all need to give your friend a blowjob and take photos in the I photo I didn't actually suck his dick. <laughs> Can you show us the documentary evidence of that? There is. His, that's, his trousers are done that's, Oh, no, actually, no, he did undo his trousers. Yeah. That's the smoking gun. Is that it? Only them will be known. Is this still a Lewinsky thing? Was that a smoking... No, that's an OJ thing. What's the smoking gun thing? I think just a reference to... Yeah. A piece of evidence. Glove, the glove was OJ. The glove, yeah. If the glove fits, you must have quit. If the glove doesn't fit, you must have quit. I don't know the slogan. That was the Why closing... It was the closing remark in the, in the, the lawyer's summation. How do you feel about OJ? Great guy. Think so? No. Okay, good. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> Is that like the new thing we have to declare every time we... Yeah. Next do. time you tweet... Oh. By the way, I think OJ is a Missed your tweet about OJ, actually. I had nothing to say then, did you? Imagine Twitter during OJ. That would have been... I actually think it would probably be pretty good. It would have been unbelievable. Tweeting the car chase. I will say this. I think Twitter's got better. I think they're refining it. I think it's I think it's less of a bombsite in like the first... He's been he's been in charge for a year now, hasn't he? Yeah. Do you remember initially when it was just literally like Ukrainians and Russians blowing each other up? I never got And then like terrible boomer memes. I didn't really get them. People always complain about like the gore they see on Twitter. I've yeah. seen a single bit of gore. No? No, I must have like a safe search. Yeah. <laughs> Filters. What, what do you see on your Twitter? Um, porn. Had... Lots of porn. Yeah, sorry. I'm on the porn <laughs> stream. I'm, yeah. por- I'm uh, on Twitter. Uh, just, yeah, yeah. I search for porn and search. <laughs> tweet it. <laughs> just tweet the word porn. Can everyone, if anyone sees any porn, can you tag me? <laughs> Looking to clean this up. I feel like um, I, I I feel like I I like someone's tweet, and then I get served now like ten of their tweets. Yeah, they're like, so they're like oh, like, you love this guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so then it looks like I'm being really obsessive, and I have to actively not like not like something if I think it's funny. So I'm like, <laughs> this is gonna look a lot, but it's the algorithm. I can't help it. Mm. I'm being served a good content. There's nothing wrong with liking a few tweets. I think that we should do a version of that. These days, you like a couple of tweets, you get thrown thrown in jail. <laughs> Just say you're English, liking some tweets. We should do a version of that podcast where it's like, um, you know, with, with well, Marina and Gemma who do the troll mm. and they go through Twitter. But I think we should do like it after dark. So we just read out what we like on our timelines. <laughs> <laughs> it's like totally unsuitable. It's like the dip, the dip. me, a OJ content, you, yeah. porn. Yep. Ed, Ed like giving a verbal description of the video he's watching. <laughs> Me plugged in with a VR headset. <laughs> plugged in deep into the matrix. What's on your timeline? I'm trying to think. I I like some really heinous shit though, but and like it always comes up to people that like Ava Santina has like this, and it's always like the maddest tweets. Like, and people keep saying to me like, you know, you're just, fully in control of it. Yeah. Yeah, they're like, you don't need to like that. You could just bookmark that. Or you could just be quiet about it. And I'm like, no. You're not a coward. <laughs> no, there's some... That's quite an honest way of using Twitter that I don't think a lot of people do. 
because the the video people like on TikTok and YouTube and stuff because not you don't have a public facing profile. Yeah, you can be on it. Yeah, honest. I like. I mainly like things about like scenarios where women look nuts. Like what? Like, this one really made. Me, if I read out a tweet, it's not funny. Okay. Well, oh, sorry, audience. We're, <laughs> we're going to finish the podcast and then we'll listen. We'll, we'll find out what the tweet is and we'll laugh about it. Um, I think we're going to have to draw a line under it. I think we've been going for about an hour and we've spoken broadly about absolutely nothing. Are we not doing the marbles? I think we've been going for about an hour. What should we do about the marbles? Well, we've got to cut out like ten whole minutes in this. Should we? Should we? We've got about. We've got. Should we ring up Greece now and negotiate? Well, you got. You've got Mitsutakis's number, have you? Yes. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> Bluff. Go on. Fucking. <laughs> I don't. I'll lie. Yeah. I've got a rep emitting Zanti's number. How long have we been going for? Yeah. Oh fuck that! Yeah. Um. So you you. You didn't realise you were looking at the Elgin marbles, so the argument goes, what's the what's the big fucking fuss about? Once I realised, well, I thought, well, the, these are beautiful bits of sculpture, but I can't wait to get to see the the Elgin marbles. But no, they were they were um, they are beautiful, and it does you do understand the objection to them not being in Athens because of like there's various arguments about Lord Elgin br- brought them back from Athens with like the pro- uh, the He'd been given permission by an Ottoman authority, the, and the legality of that is now questioned because to take it back to just size it up. But they not, but they also and then to looted it. it. I think he's given he was, he was given permission to take some stuff. He put like bits that are broken off. Yeah, and he was yeah. like, "I'll break this bad boy." Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's all down. And so Greece now fully independent, thankfully from the wrath of the Ottoman Empire, I reject that legality. I actually believe that Greece should be under the Ottoman yoke. Do you think so? <laughs> What's, what is the... Is, do you think there's a guy who wants to bring back the Ottoman Empire? Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Wait, wait you What's hear, the argument? Wait until you hear about Mustafa Kemal. <laughs> wait until you hear about Ataturk. Right, so are we pro-Ottoman on this podcast? I was just saying that to be pedantic because you keep doing your fucking I'm a melee guy. Oh, okay. And so I was taking the piss out of you by being like, I think Greece should be under the Ottoman yoke. What's the pro-melee? Pro-Ottoman <laughs> Against Greek independence. Always. Yeah. Um, but the... Unless... Yanis Varoufakis is involved. In which case, full dictatorship. You can make him the Sultan. Hmm. Something to consider. That is something. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that, actually. <laughs> I'll have to revisit my plans for Greece. <laughs> you said not the EU. <laughs> is... Someone made the point that Britain having the Elgin marbles is like someone else having Stonehenge and just having fucking yoinks it. Like, honestly, all it does is slow down that motorway and I, don't, I I will never get it. I'll never get it. How did it get there? Who's to say it is ours? <laughs> <laughs> they stole it from the Ottoman. Them stones look really suspicious. Suspiciously similar to that temple that's been ripped apart to take the marbles out. <laughs> it was Lord Elgin's ancestor. And none of us are allowed to get close enough to Stonehenge to work out if it's not from the... Uh, Why should someone tip it over? Stonehenge. That'd be the most unbelievable... Look, I know you've been going to the gym, but fucking, have you seen the size of the thing? They weigh like 20, 20 fucking tons, man. Yes, you can bring a bulldozer. I'm just saying, imagine. Do you, not the, do, do you not believe in the power of imagination? That's not what you said, though, is it? You said, imagine if someone pushed them over. Yeah, that's see, not I didn't the same. with their hand. That's not the same as being like, well, oh, yeah, we'll not bulldozer. Oh. No, that's different, though, isn't it? That's knocking it down. Okay, sorry. Be precise with your language, Edward. <laughs> okay, ignore my previous bit. Do you know? Secret, do you know though? No one knows how they got stones there. No, that's that's the point. And how do they know that was us? You must have been somebody. Excuse me. How do they know that was us? What do you mean? As in people, Homo sapiens, the English. Swallow the top of the lid of that. <laughs> Jesus Christ! What should we do about the Elgin marbles? Give them back to Greece, obviously. The British Museum have suggested a kind of a, a loan scheme where they get also Play stuff. Play they, But they get stuff that has never been displayed in Britain from yeah. Greece. Which is Gre- Gre- Mitch, you're ta- Greek people, if you're listening, don't fall for it again. <laughs> <laughs> don't let it pull this shit on you again. Again, and also there's going to be a British wallet inspector <laughs> going around everyone in Greece. Because I tell you what, under EU regulation, they really need to have their wallets inspected. Mm. And also, we're going to sell them London Bridge. Wallet inspector, that's really funny. 
Um, I'm with, I'm with, I'm with them all of the way, right? All of the way, particularly, you know, Lord Byron, turn of the 19th century, with him the most, and the parliamentarians who were upset about it at the time. The one argument I don't agree with is when uh, the Greek, it was the Prime Minister, wasn't it? He was on Sunday. Yeah. It was Prime Minister. He was saying that it would, uh, not having that side of the marble on there was compromising the structure of the temple. Now, I don't, I don't buy that because it's been there for 200 years and it hasn't fallen over. But it's only been like that for 200 years. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying if it's to weather another 6,000 years... It might fall over it at some point. It could fall over. But I remember that. Arguably, that's the argument for Stonehenge, really. What is? Something. <laughs> Listeners, right. extrapolate from that thought <laughs> what you will. Do you follow any of those like um sort of like far right vector accounts that just are like a marble bust? And what you mean? And yeah. then tweet they'll tweet like a sculpture and say, Man's not capable of producing this anymore. Uh, Which they... way, Western man? And then what would you show them to argue against that? The sphere. That's not a bad argument. Mm. As a trial of engineering. I think that's probably a, a very good art. I think that's exactly what they've got a problem with, to be honest with you. Yeah. They don't like that stuff. What about a series of the archers? <laughs> They're probably quite like, you've seen this, brother. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know them titties are made of marble. Look at these ones. <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> marble doesn't bounce. <laughs> what that thing do? What that marble do, son? Is that thing real, Venus? <laughs> Sir David's got such a tiny dig. <laughs> Good. This woman has a head. <laughs> yeah, the one he really likes is with the. Um, it looks as if it's a person underneath silk. You can see you see the silk oh, the person's face cool. underneath. Very impressive, and they, they they like to tweet it with. How is this possible? Make this now. The one in Pride and Prejudice. I don't. I don't know. I have no idea. Never seen it. Really? Yeah. No. Oh. All this stuff in the British Museum, or a lot of it, it's just a personal collection of just random explorers from, or, or agents of empire from the 18th century. Would you call them explorers? Would I? Would you call them thieves? <laughs> so I, that's why I changed my language. I mean, <laughs> precise. Like it's, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. We, I just finished interviewing Tim Peake from Filtered over there, mm -hmm. and the shit he was talking about. What did he take? What did he plunder? Nothing. They're actually very. I asked. They're very particular about what you're allowed to put in the rocket when you when you go to and from the space station. <laughs> A gun. They say they can. They can believe. <laughs> Let's make this <laughs> interesting. Oh my God. I'm in charge of the space station. <laughs> just on the moon, like. Is what every so often they end of a gun just to see what happens. The test of human nature. Because I was kind of sat there thinking, like, oh, you're one of the last great explorers. You mm. know, you've literally been to the frontier of human knowledge. He was talking about growing organs in, in no gravity because it's much easier to grow them because on, on sea level with gravity, they, they, they collapse in on themselves. They don't grow properly. So you grow them up there, apparently, or you, you grow protein crystals up there as well. Bodily organs. Yeah, yeah, human organs, yeah. yeah. They're not, they haven't got a factory up there doing research, but the research would indicate that under, in microgravity conditions, it's it's far easier. So in the future, they might have an organ farm in space and then ship them down for transplants. Anyway, I thought, well, you're clearly at the forefront of human thought and progress. And we don't really have people like that anymore, do we? We have Hardest Geezer. Yeah, we have Hardest Geezer. We don't have a Lord Elgin. <laughs> there, was, yeah. there was something from... Um, it was... That baby isn't really... <laughs> so that's human, human collapse of British man. Encapsulated. <laughs> there was a, a dish in the British Museum that had been given to somebody by a Polynesian king. And there was a caveat. They were like, and it was a gift from the king. I was like, well, there's no way to prove it was a gift. Like, you could take anything and say it was a gift. You said the old marbles were a gift. I quite like that only one thing was labelled gift. That's <laughs> like... <laughs> this is fine. They gave it to us willingly. Quite a lot of um, posh people have donated stuff to those museums. You know? Yeah, personal collections. 
of things. And you don't yeah. need that many sarcophaguses. It's a good way to launder your, your possessions, isn't it? Because if you've got... Don't do that again. I'm oh, sorry, I didn't get that old. <laughs> I made a face at <laughs> For your pit, pit and... Were you on him when he did that? Was, was, did he? Have you got him on tape pulling a face at me? Yeah, no, I know they are. I'll be reviewing that fuzzy draft. <laughs> <laughs> Ava, I'm sure you had something insightful to say. <laughs> oh, I said, I, it's not very interesting. How unlike you. So nasty. No, I'm being serious. I'm being mean about him. Oh. No, oh. I was being like, okay. it's unlike Let you. Let me get into this you're, bit. You're, you're, you're so serious and insightful and Ed's terrible. Is right, nice. so that's the bit right now. I'm trying to so, bully him, not you. So, Ava could so, never so, say marble doesn't bone. So <laughs> You just don't have that in you. We should really finish this. Episode. I know. What the what the hell? Why are we still going? Uh, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Bye bye.